Today we close off our series of six talks on the question of alienation. Let me summarize briefly and then go on immediately to the matter for today. We have been saying from 1 Peter 2, verses 9 through 12, that God who chose Christians as his chosen people made them a people of his own possession, called them out of darkness into his marvelous light, who made them a people when they were not a people, now says, verse 11, Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may on account of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. He says that we therefore must learn to live like citizens of the heavenly country. We can't live any longer the way we used to live when we were alienated from God and therefore living for this world. Now we have been alienated from this world because we are living for God. Now that does not mean that we become useless persons in this world. Indeed, quite to the contrary, we become useful only when we are alienated to the world. And by the world we have come to see that we do not mean the material universe or our fleshly bodies themselves, there's nothing wrong with these in and of themselves. But by the world we mean that organized whole of which Satan is the head, that organization of thought and presupposition and action and desire and all of the rest that is alienated from God. When we are God's people, we must be alienated from whatever it is that is alienated from him. And so it is the ways of the world, the old ways that we used to be a part of, and which now when we have come to know Jesus Christ as our Savior, God says we no longer can be a part of. It is those old ways that as aliens and strangers, people who recognize that we have no part here, no continuing city, no continuing relationship to this world, it is from those fleshly lusts that we must abstain because they war against our souls. They bring sorrow and heartache untold to the Christian when we follow the desires that are apart from God and that are out of accord with his will. Now, what are these fleshly desires? Last time we saw that we, by those, do not mean innate bodily needs or sexual desires when used properly within the framework of marriage. But, what Peter is talking about is the desires that have been built into our flesh by our sinful nature. When we were born sinners, we were born incapable of pleasing God. We were born with a nature that was alienated from him and which was oriented against him. And so we developed ways of living. We developed and cultivated tastes and desires that were totally apart from those things which he wants us to do and to be and to think. Our way of thinking, our way of living, our way of talking, what we really wanted, our purposes and meanings in life, all these things were against him and apart from his ways. But they became so much a part of us because we did them day after day, year after year, that they became habitual for us. They became imprinted in our flesh, in our bodies. Paul speaks of Romans 6, and in Galatians 5 about 
these works that the flesh produce, the works of the flesh, and that these are contrary to the works that the Spirit produces, which are called no longer works, but the fruit of the Spirit. Now the works of the flesh are not works that come from our bodies because our bodies in and of themselves are evil. God did not make matter evil. But our bodies have been wrongly habituated so that our desires and our tastes and the things that we want, so that our body has become so so organized by the world's ways of doing things that it now wants to do things those old ways still. Even though we have come to know Christ, our bodies have been so uh, habituated that they still want to go on doing the old things. And it's those wants of the body that were built in by our sinful natures before we came to know Jesus Christ. Those styles of living, those manners of life that were set against God and set against his heavenly kingdom that we must abstain from. Those fleshly desires that are still a part of us, even though we have come to know Christ, but which are habituated into us. You know how hard it is to break your old habits, but that's what he's saying we must do. But it's more than just break them. We must put off the old ways, but we'll never put them off unless we put on the new ways. And you notice what he says. To change, we must do two things. We must abstain, verse 11, 1 Peter 2, 11, abstain from these, that is, stop them, quit them, avoid them, get free from them. Literally, the word here is to have them from you, have them away from you, get them away, shove them out of your life. We must put off, as Paul says in Ephesians 4 and Colossians 3, the old ways. But it's not enough just to put off. Verse 12 says, we must also put on or practice good behavior. And it's interesting here that he says to keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles. It's not just good behavior in the sense of morally good. Of course it includes that. And what is morally good is what is true to the scriptures, true to the Lord Jesus Christ that matches his good and is performed in us by the work of the Spirit of God who enables us to do what his word teaches us as he enables us to understand it and to walk in accordance with it. It is morally good in that sense, but it is also, according to this word, excellent behavior that is aesthetically good too. The Christian is not opposed to aesthetics. In fact, the Christian is most concerned about the finest things of life. Rather than becoming coarse and rude and cruel and that sort of thing in his faith, the Christian should become a gentleman or a gentlewoman who has faith that really shines in this world of darkness. He belongs to the kingdom of light. He belongs to that marvelous light of God's kingdom. And he should be a shining light wherever he goes. In the way that he talks, the bearing of his very being ought to be done not in some uncouth manner as he manifests his faith with hobnailed boots and mud, but it ought to be done in some fine, aesthetically fine way as he lives for Jesus Christ and honors him by the fineness of his very lifestyle itself. So the Christian is called to a behavior that is fine, that's fitting, that's excellent, that's beautiful, not just one that's good. Of course it must be good, good by the standards of God, not good by the standards of the world. 
But God's standard of goodness even includes an excellency. We should not do things halfway. We should do them well, do them finely, do them in a way that matches our Lord Jesus Christ, who did all things well. So, Christian, alienated from God? No, no longer if you know Christ, of course not. Alienated from this world, increasingly a sense of alienation will be yours as you recognize more and more your stranger status, your foreign uh, capacity to appreciate only and more and more the excellent things of the heavenly country to come as they stand in utter contrast to what this world has to offer. Lord, forgive us for not doing this more, we pray for Christ's sake. Amen.